Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk About It, a podcast with a purpose. I'm your host, Molly, and this week we are putting a pause on what we have been calling our wild and exotic animal welfare campaign. We will be getting back to that because there are a lot of topics I still want to cover there, but this month, April, as you may or may not know, is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. And as a preschool teacher, this topic is especially near and dear to my heart, so I just could not let April pass by without bringing it up, especially because millions of children every year in America are suffering abuse and neglect at the hands of those who are meant to protect them. Five children are killed every day by those that are supposed to love them unconditionally. In 2020, the U.S. government's National Child Abuse and Neglect Data System reported over 3 million cases of abuse and or neglect that were investigated. And I don't think I need to tell you that just one is too many. This episode will be tough, but child abuse is preventable, so let's talk about it. of childhood abuse and neglect, child sexual abuse, so trigger warning for those that may need it. However, it is worth noting that we will not be talking specific details, so I did just want to throw that out there as well. And I think we should start by just reiterating the difference between abuse and neglect. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, but this, in my opinion, also encompasses neglect as well. But there is technically a difference between the two words. Neglect is defined more so as a lack of action. The intent may not always be to harm the child, but the result is harmful either way. This looks like not providing proper food to the child, not providing them adequate and safe shelter, clothing, medical care, things like that. But it also includes not giving them proper education. Children have a right to learn and be educated all the same. It can even look like not taking action when you know your child is, you know, experiencing something unsafe and that could potentially cause them harm. Abuse, on the other hand, is intentional and is defined as the caregiver harming the child physically, emotionally, and or sexually, or putting them at risk of harm. I think we most often think of child abuse in this way as bruises and physically hurting the child, but whether it is abuse or neglect, whether it's intentional or not, these situations are harmful to children, and we know this. We have studied this and how it affects children short and long term. So let's talk about stress. All animals experience stress, including us. And we think of stress as strictly negative, but it is required for survival. It's something that drives us like animals on sort of a more primal level. And children experience stress all the same. When we, those of us that are in the child, early childhood education field, talk about the types of stress that developing children can experience, it is often broken up into three types positive, tolerable, and toxic. 
positive stress is what a child experiences during situations that cause them to have feelings of frustration and anxiety, things like that, but are otherwise safe situations. Maybe another child has just taken the toy they're playing with, they get upset and frustrated, they experience stress, but let's say they come up to you and ask for help in getting their toy back and the matter is resolved. This is positive stress. They were unharmed and maybe even learned something from the situation. Tolerable stress is more serious, you know, events that outs occur outside of the child's control, things like natural disasters or deaths in the family, things like that. And while this is stressful, and causes the child to feel many different things, it is tolerable because the child has a support system and protection from a caring adult. These nurturing relationships are what allow the child's stress to come back down from these elevated levels to safe levels. However, when a child experiences prolonged activation of the stress response, it becomes toxic stress. It can be events similar to what would occur in tolerable stress, but there is no support or protection to make it tolerable and the stress levels remain high. We also see toxic stress, however, in abusive and neglectful situations. In childhood development, these negative experiences are what we refer to as adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. By definition, an ACE is a potentially traumatic event that occurs during childhood. When a child experiences these for prolonged periods of time without any love, care, or support, it becomes toxic stress. And these are unfortunately quite common. The CDC reported that 61% of adults across 25 states said that they had experienced at least one type of ACE before their 18th birthday. And even worse, one in six reported that they had experienced four or more ACEs before their 18th birthdays. And any child is, of course, at risk to suffer abuse and ACEs. It, there is a myth that it can only happen in certain groups, certain situations, and that is not the case. It can happen to any child. However, we do see that there are groups that are more vulnerable, and this tends to be girls and racial and ethnic minorities. And while not all ACEs are forms of abuse and some issues that are a result of ACEs are resolved, abuse is one of the most common adverse experiences a child can suffer through. And based on everything we just talked about, I don't think you need me to tell you abuse is toxic stress, especially when the abuse, again, is coming from a primary caregiver and the child has no other security, love, or safety to help them work through it and make it tolerable. It's just confusing and scary and should never be a child's experience. But sadly, it is. Like we said earlier in the episode, millions of children just in America alone suffer every day at the hands of the people that are supposed to nurture and love them, help them grow with secure foundations. According to the American Society for the Positive Care of Children, or the American SPCC, they've received 4 million child maltreatment and 7.2 million child abuse reports in 2021. And despite these numbers totaling over 11 million children, only 2.9 million received services of any kind to help mitigate the impact of it. Something the American SPCC also reported that is just truly devastating is that the highest rate of child abuse occurred in children under the age of one year old, like disproportionately more. I'm going to include this graph that they have on their website 
on YouTube if you're watching over there because it's almost unbelievable. More than twice as many children under the age of one than any other age group suffer abuse. And I'm almost at a loss for words. Like any child abuse is horrific, but something about the worst of it happening to babies, babies that can't even speak yet, whose only form of communication is to cry, knowing that that's likely why they face the abuse in the first place, it's just so heartbreaking and gross, and it, it just makes my stomach turn. Also in 2021, the American SPCC estimated that almost 2,000 children died from abuse and or neglect. Of these children, 66% were younger than three years old. And in general, out of all child fatalities occurring in 2018, as reported by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, 46% were because of abuse. But this number could be even higher because some studies suggest that many child deaths were miscited on death certificates and they were labeled or had something else listed as their cause of death other than abuse when it should have been abuse. And we see, as we see with other types of abuse in general, it's often underreported. And then there are so many things that can affect it. As we saw with the COVID-19 pandemic, we can't fully know how the pandemic impacted these children. Many studies suggest that it got much worse for all victims of abuse, but with hospitals and treatment facilities closed or operating with limited hours during that time, there are likely so many more victims that never received the help they needed. It never got reported. And we just can't know how prevalent this horror really is. And, you know, the pandemic is over now, so we won't really spend a lot of time on that impact. But also because this type of data tends to lag by a couple of years, so we likely don't even know the true impact yet and won't for another year or so. But honestly, do all of these numbers really even matter? Like All we know is that there are children suffering, and like we said, even just one is too many. And I am sure that if you are listening to this, you are a caring and empathetic person and deeply understand why this matters. But let's just talk about how serious the impacts are for a moment anyway. Short-term effects are a bit more straightforward. Study after study has shown that children who experience prolonged toxic stress suffer emotionally, physically, and cognitively. One study showed that cognitively, they cannot learn the same. They struggle with paying attention and perform poorly in school compared to their peers. Their brains literally develop functionally and structurally different. Like the brain develops completely different if you were to look at a brain of an abused child versus one that was not it would look different and the effects don't just end there abused ch children suffer so much emotionally they have extremely low self-esteem and struggle with relationship building as children and into their adult lives they have no secure attachment styles they lack emotional regulation and they will struggle with these for the rest of their lives and sadly, we often see the cycle of abuse continue. Abused children can grow up to be abusers themselves. One study suggesting that 30% of abuse victims will grow up to abuse others. And I don't think we've realized that abuse really has this ripple effect, not just on families for generations, but on everyone, you, me, the general population, because these children are growing up and going out into the world without the tools to be a productive and healthy part of society. 
the American SPCC states that children who have suffered abuse and or neglect are nine times more likely to commit crimes. And because of this, we see that 14% of all men and 36% of all women in the U.S. prisons were abused as children themselves. And if that doesn't matter to you, maybe money will, because abuse surprisingly has an effect on economics as well. The financial impact, or what the CDC refers to as the total lifetime economic burden associated with child abuse and neglect, was $592 billion in 2018. Now, I had to look this up a little bit because I wasn't exactly sure what that term meant. And if you're like me and also unsure, the best way I can describe it is the financial costs that arise as a result of child abuse and neglect that then becomes this quote burden because maybe there is no health insurance or parents are bringing their children to the emergency room, which is very costly, all because of abuse. Basically, it's medical and other costs required to cheat treat children of abuse and neglect that becomes the responsibility of the hospital, health insurance, government, etc., because the parents can't or won't pay themselves. And basically, to sum it up, so many children are having medical costs as a result of abuse that it totals nearly $600 billion. But we need to talk about what we can do, what this month of prevention is really all about. It is said that child abuse is preventable, and I think to really prevent anything, you need to know why it's happening in the first place. Child abuse really does have a lot of factors, though, and a lot of things you could point to and say that's the reason why. It's complex and often involves multiple layers, even in just one family or situation. But despite this, there are certain risk factors and causes to be aware of, some of which we actually already talked about in this episode. For example, if the parent was abused as a child themselves, their children become more at risk of experiencing abuse, continuing that cycle. Again, sadly, being under one years old is a risk factor as well. And that is not to say that just because a, par a person was abused as a child, they are going to go on to abuse their children. That is not to say that just because a person has a child that is under one year old, that that child is being abused. They are just risk factors and things that we can see have a you know strong correlation with child abuse. I think we hear this phrase of breaking the cycle and ending generational trauma a lot, and I don't want to overuse it now because it certainly is easier said than done. It takes work to overcome the abuse and mistreatment that you may have suffered, and I do not want to undermine that. But maybe part of preventing abuse is being able to put the work in and end the abuse with you. And there are many other causes and risk factors we haven't talked about yet. A huge one is substance and alcohol abuse disorders. One study found that children were three times more likely to be abused and four times more likely to be neglected when their parents had substance and alcohol abuse disorders. And again, maybe this means putting in the hard work yourself. And there are so many resources out there to help if you or someone you know is struggling with a substance, including alcohol. We will have all kinds of resources linked wherever we can. Struggling financially is also shown to cause extreme stress, which can then overflow onto children. This makes it a common risk factor for child abuse. Children are five times more likely to experience abuse when living in lower income families or situations. 
For me personally, I think it's hard to say that abuse can be prevented entirely. There are just so many people and so many factors that it feels really difficult to control. But there is so much still that we can do. Preventing and mitigating these risk factors requires resources more than anything. You know, programs and services that help families and individuals, things like therapy and counseling, food and living assistance programs, drug and alcohol dependence support and treatments, access to medical care, just so many things because it really does take a village. And just because you don't know these children does not mean that you can't support them. There are many organizations that you can donate to and support that know how to allocate these funds appropriately to the right programs, something that you and I just might not know how to do very well or where to put them. One of these that we will be raising funds for throughout the month of April is Prevent Child Abuse America. They have branches all across the country. We will be donating specifically to the New Hampshire one, as that is where this podcast is located. But if you can, please donate to whichever you prefer. I think that you can donate just to the organization as a whole as well if you didn't want to donate to a specific branch. And supporting financially is always a great option. But again, these places need to be backed up by legislation as well. And there is always, always room to improve there. So like we always say, these are things that can be supported with your vote as well. Support candidates locally and nationally that support these types of social programs that are willing to invest in its people. These programs are a necessity for our well-being as a whole country. These issues affect us all, even if it's indirectly. And I know this month is about prevention, but we can't end this episode without knowing signs of ongoing abuse and what to look for there because these children need our support too. And sometimes it can be really obvious sometimes, but certainly not always. Signs of physical abuse can be more easily detected, but abusers also often try to hide the abuse so it may not be as easy to detect it as you think. Sometimes it can look like injuries that aren't developmentally appropriate for the child's age. And what I mean by this is something like an infant getting a broken arm, whereas a toddler or young child is more active and they're riding bikes and just going down slides and just exploring the world. It would make more sense for them to fall, take a harder fall and break their arm, where an infant, there really is no reason an infant should be getting an injury like that, if that makes sense. Physical symptoms other than things like bruises would be obvious signs of malnourishment, things like being underweight, dark circles around the eyes, discoloration of their skin, gauntness, poor hygiene, things like that. It can also show up in more subtle ways like depression, anxiety, the child acting out, having sleep problems, difficulties regulating their anger and other emotions. And there are things that you can notice also if you are talking or spending time with a parent as well. If the parent shows little care or concern for the child, especially when they're injured or upset, they talk poorly to or about the child, blame them, set unrealistic expectations, or even if you witness the parent physically punish the child in a way that is just not okay, not appropriate. There are all things that these are all things, of course, that don't necessarily mean the child is in serious harm, but should be taken as red flags. You know, trust your gut. At the worst, a situation is looked into and everything is found to be okay. 
And we hear this phrase a lot, if you see something, say something. And generally speaking, I agree. You should never stay silent and allow a child to be harmed in any way. And there are many mandated reporting laws across the country as well. Being a preschool teacher, I, of course, am a mandated reporter. But you may not even realize that in some states, anyone over the age of 18 is a mandated reporter. So you may be one and you don't even realize it. And this, of course, exists for good reason. But I do wonder if this needs to be considered carefully. I don't think it is always in the best interest of the child for you to ever really confront a parent you suspect of abuse yourself. Depending on the situation, it could make it worse for that child. The parent could become very angry, blame the child, and punish them in some way. So please do say something if you suspect something, but make sure you do it carefully and in such a way that will help de-escalate the situation rather than provoke it. You know, this could look like talking to teachers or principals or other safe people that you you know are safe people in the child's life, reaching out to like your local agencies, your child protective services agencies, wherever you live. I had just been especially thinking about this because of what we talked about in our domestic violence episode, that sometimes we take actions that are a one-size-fit-all, like automatically getting an order of protection when it's not always the best course of action because it provokes the abuser even further. And while I don't think that no action is the right course for children who are being abused, I wonder if some of this logic needs to be applied to these situations with children just to ensure that they are removed as safely as possible. Now, again, we will have many resources listed wherever we can have them for support, to learn, whatever we can provide. Because like we said, it truly takes a village to raise our children safely. And every child is a part of that village and deserves all that we can do for them. To learn more about Let's Talk About It and Project Alleviate, please visit letstalkpod.org. Like we mentioned, we will be making a donation to New Hampshire Children's Trust, the New Hampshire chapter of Prevent Child Abuse America. Please visit our website or theirs to learn more and donate if you can. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be resuming our wild and exotic animal welfare campaign in our next episode. Mm-hmm.